Hi everyone, Dave here. It's great to have you join me for another great sports story. This is episode number 37 and today's special guest is Lucy Moore. Lucy has a key role at Sport England as Head of Professional Workforce. I'm sure she'll tell us more about this as we go. I have known Lucy for many years and I am so excited to be speaking with her as she is a really genuine people person and has a massive passion for helping people develop both in her sport, which is hockey, but also across the whole sports system. Lucy will, I'm sure, be very open and honest and show her vulnerability when sharing her story. And my biggest challenge will be to encourage her to offer some advice and guidance to you, the listeners. Her great coaching philosophy is to facilitate and enable rather than to give advice and to talk. But she has loads to offer. Just a few quick updates and reminders before we get going. Please continue to leave feedback, leave comments, reviews and even subscribe on your preferred platform. As you know, this really helps and is really valued and appreciated and does your bit to help others find out what we do. Also, drop me a line on LinkedIn or on Twitter if you want to find out more about what I am doing with the Sports Stories podcast, the Sports Stories Academy and also the Sports Stories coaching and mentoring support. Through these platforms, I'm keen to provide you with resources and support to maximise your impact at work and at home. Take a look at the website at www.sportstories247.com and where you can gain both inspiration, education and gain access to personal transformation. And just to be clear, Sports Stories is for parents, teachers, coaches and leaders, both in sport and who enjoy learning and developing through sport. There are some really exciting times ahead and some great content and guests lined up. So today we have our 37th podcast and we are coming towards the end of series four. So go prepare yourself as best you can to get the most from getting a deep insight into the current head of professional workforce, coach developer and hockey player. Let me give a warm welcome to Miss Lucy Moore. Lucy, thank you for joining me on the uh, Sports Stories podcast. I'm really excited to uh, dig a little bit deeper today. So thanks for giving up your your time um, and let's see where we go. I'd like to just kick us off though with sharing a quote or a, a tweet that you, you had on your Twitter profile. And it said, um, things that are really important to you are allowing people to be who they are. You like to build on what you have in common with people. You like to listen more than you speak. And you see that as being important, but also finding the person behind the role. And I'm really delighted to have you here today because I'm really keen to uh, find a little bit more about the person behind the role but also to hear you speak more than you listen. So welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. nice to be here. So l- let's just kick off and go back to sort of day dot nearly. And Lucy, can you tell us a little bit more about y- yourself in terms of how you got into sport in your early days and why why it's become important to you? So two big questions there to start us off. Yeah, big. So uh <sighs> I would say so. Neither of my parents are in any way sporty. I suppose <laughs> both were. One was an accountant. One was a teacher. Busy professionals. So, um, as a kid, myself and my sister, it was all about lots of independent play in the garden, making up games, climbing trees, generally causing chaos and being a bit wild and free. And um, I suppose if you went and you dropped in on those sessions, what you would find is probably me organising, setting up writing her certificates for climbing a tree, arranging obstacle courses for the dog. So my introduction to sport and physical activity is just a lot of free play with the exception of probably football. So football when I was at primary school was a brilliant thing for me and I loved loved playing football. Um, and 
that whilst I didn't ever go to a club or have any sessions that was like my main organized sport that I would do with my friends and and things like that so that would be my my earliest memories um in addition my granddad he he used to volunteer at the Harlequin Rugby Club and they lived in Twickenham so being in and around that and seeing his involvement there um I think helped me to to know that sport existed when I didn't have particularly sporty parents um when you ask why did it become important I suppose some of my earliest memories were um realizing that I was a girl and somehow that precluded me from certain activities and and so sport really took on a different place in my life when I was probably about 11. I remember we were going to we were going to Twickenham to see my grandparents and uh, one of my earliest memories is seeing um, some women playing rugby. My mum saying oh that's the England women's team and if you drive into Twickenham on the on the right hand side there's a scrap of land which is now used as an overflow car park and you also on the left have the stadium and it's probably one of my earliest sporty memories was thinking well the England team play in the stadium but why are the ladies there? Why are they not in the stadium? So my earliest sporting memories are, are, there's some quite painful ones of wanting to do things and that not being available or feeling somehow different. And I think I would probably describe myself now as being a bit of a genderqueer kid, which wasn't a thing in the 80s and 90s. Um, But I always hated the word tomboy, even at the time, because it was that distinction between boys things and girls things. And I I just saw them as things. And why wouldn't that? And how old were you when you say that was one of your early memories? Less than 10, wow. like eight something. So very, very early on. Um, and it probably, so that's why I started to get passionate about sport. I think there was something in it being something I loved and also that like, well, why shouldn't I be able to do this? Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's where it's come from. And for me, that's it's really... Um stands out that way you say you, you, you I guess your environment wasn't sporty in a sense of your parents and driving out so you uh, being active and sport kind of came from within as opposed to from w- uh, your environment yes totally um I I love I love being active and uh playing sport and and in particular organizing other people playing sport helping right. other people it has been ever present I can't um I can't separate it from who I am and I think um yeah I I find it very hard to articulate where it started I think I could probably tell you where my sporting journey got more formalized and I started going to clubs and things like that but it's been at the core of my being for as long as I can remember and then let's go there then in terms of that formalization of it and was that just a a natural evolution in terms of how you could continue being involved or was there other reasons for you going down a a more formalized route um so I think it was very informal very participation and then went to secondary school and um the options available when you went to secondary school were so much more limited. There were very, very few opportunities. And, you know, we had to wear red PE knickers, which I don't think people would have um, necessarily experienced, like red superhero pants that you wear, but you don't have tights on. You just wear the pants to do your sport. And 
and the boys got to wear shorts and and it, and there was just less and less and less and then um when I was in my second year of secondary school that I started playing hockey and it was probably the first time I've ever maybe the last time started something and felt instantly I could do it right. I'm not saying I'm like a world beater or anything like that but being able to do it instantly in that first lesson and just fell in love with it and there from there it progressed you started going to competitive fixtures on behalf of the school and then someone from a club came and watched one of the games and gave out leaflets and then I went to the club and um and it just kind of went from there and and so sports participation or physical activity became more structured um from there and before that though I guess you were just still playing anything and everything both you know football rugby all of those all of those sports so and that was your first introduction to hockey then was it at secondary school yeah first introduction to hockey and like the the other sports I played it I it it wasn't very it definitely wasn't organized it was just um free play um so that was my first introduction to being coached or taught or yeah. something something along those lines yeah so then where did you go from there then you, you know you, you started moving up the kind of the sporting structural ladder but just within hockey or were you doing other sports as well or did you focus then at that stage uh, principally it's just hockey um obviously I went to a normal normal state secondary school yeah. where you know you have the sporty kids and they kind of do all the sporty yeah. stuff and and um sport and physical activity being capable I wasn't great at all different sports but being capable enough was a way for me to um have friends build friends like I say I was pretty androgynous looking kid um probably on the margins I I have autism and dyslexia so I had support studies which took me outside of normal lessons um so structured sports activities gave me a way to be popular and to have friends and get invited to stuff um in a measured and um what's the word yeah a measured and safe way and I think that's why I was drawn towards helping younger age groups and coaching and so hockey was really the the only one that I pursued outside of school um it was the only one that I you know ever did to any representative level um and so yeah oh you know you amaze me when you you share the story about um the, the kind of the dyslexia and the autism and how that's helped you and you know can you tell us a little bit more or give us any examples of how the the, the role of sport has really helped you with that you know you, you mentioned one or two areas there but I'm really curious about you know how powerful sport can be in so many different ways and just hearing that story um, can you share a bit more yeah sure so um I suppose the first thing is to say I didn't get my diagnosis of uh, autism until I was in my 20s mm. um so it's all, it's all retrospective but I did have support studies because of um, some of my reading, my spelling. And um, at that time, support studies are not like what they are now and um, meant me missing a lot of RE and sitting in a group of people. It wasn't tailored or specific. Um, and I dreaded the idea that they would take PE away from me instead. You know, you either miss like art, RE or PE. Um, but it, I suppose what it gives me, gave me, is um, a few things. One is that structured interaction, that social presence, those topics to talk about. Um, it's a complete myth that autistic people aren't social. I, I'm, I am social. I like people. I, 
I just can be a bit socially awkward when I'm in an unscripted setting, like you don't know what to predict. I think I was fairly inoffensive as a kid, but neither popular nor unpopular. Um, and suddenly to find I'm good at it. The other thing with hockey is that it's, and I've not heard many people talk about team sports in this way. It's probably the only time that my mind is silent. So there's always a constant like whirring, constant uh, things. It's like um, as if a, a, there's a program running on your computer that you can't see and you're like, why is the computer going so slow? It's because there's downloading something in the background. Whirring all the time. Yeah. So, but when I play hockey, there's just, it's probably the intensity of the focus. There's like a stillness. It's, you, you talk to people who do lifestyle sports, they would describe it uh, better than me, probably, you know, surfers. You, they're the only people I've ever come across who speak about sports participation in that connected to the feeling and the mind. And you're just so focused. And even something now, like I do some cycling that quietens my mind but that's because I'm petrified of falling off so it's like an anxious an anxious focus rather than a like a relaxed focus yeah. so the, for the the place of sport in my life is an obsession a specialist interest it's a way to connect with people and particularly hockey playing hockey was a way to get some stillness yeah so when did you realise this? You know, when did you pick up the autism and the connection between the role that actually your hockey was playing for you? Um, in terms of the role my hockey was playing, I've known that all along. Okay. I remember a brief period when I couldn't play due to injury. And I, even as a late teen, noticed the impact on yeah. my mental well-being. Like I was really, really unhappy and um, almost a bit aggressive and hurt myself. And it like it you don't realize how important it was yeah. until it's gone yeah. um but it's only been really the last i don't know three four years where since since i've been starting to think about it a bit more you know i sort of got the diagnosis and parked it and then it's it's getting you know more interested in neurodiversity and how those things are strengths and and trying to unpick who i am and why i am and what i do mm. like a lot of self-reflection and um coaching and therapy and things like that you start to go oh yeah that actually maybe that's that's why yeah and so as we keep going you know where, where did your journey go then so you're kind of in terms of your age and picking up your you know the, the dyslexia and autism you mentioned there around your sort of 20s ish um where did your path go from there in terms of your your sporting journey well I suppose we probably fast forwarded a bit in the middle so I was at secondary school okay. um yeah 13, 14, got selected to go and do some county hockey and had terrible, like terrible experiences, which have um, very much underpinned uh, my approach to talent development coaching. You know, like the, I, the, I ended up withdrawing from the system, um, writing strongly worded letters to anybody who would listen to me. Um, can you tell and us then, a bit more about what, what were the experiences? Because I guess they've really formed who you are. And I'm curious as to what that was about. Yeah, so it, it was uh, it was the way that things were done. So, for, for example, um, in a trial setting, yeah. it was fairly standard practice to have a little salt course set up. One of the activities, lifting a, a ball over a stick. I'd never done this. I'd never played on an AstroTurf. I'd 
no experience of this and probably not got the right equipment, but to be in this queue with these assessors and the other kids and like I told the story on a coaching course I delivered a while ago and it, it almost makes me cry now at like yeah. 33 years old. I still carrying like 13 year old Lucy's pain from, from that session because you're going through it over and over and over and you still can't do it and you're not getting any better and people are telling you, you need to get better and it's not making you, it's just this, those, those kind of things. Um, there was also a, a heavy dominance of independent school kids and from a big club and I was from a tiny village club and there was only me and one other friend and uh, yeah, it, it, the, the, the coach's daughter was the captain and her best friend was the vice captain and it was all about the winning and, you know, I probably wasn't very, very good in comparison to the other girls and therefore didn't get hardly any pitch time, you just get five minutes and get told what you did wrong you know it's all of those kind of things which shape and you think you know what I'm you know what Tony I'm not coming back and I'm not gonna let you do this to somebody else but I'm just gonna take me 20 years and then <laughs> and then I'm gonna try and make a difference somewhere it's, it's that kind of did you know, did you did you pick it up and notice it at the time or is this a, a kind of a retrospective reflection do you think no it's definitely at the time I found my um diaries and my parents cleared out their loft oh. I've got I've got my diaries from then and and it's it you there's lots of things which I don't remember um that reading you know reading my younger self write about how I didn't what was I going to do and it was terrible and what's everyone going to think and I'm going to let everybody down and how am I going to tell my mum and what's Mrs Green the PE teacher going to say and she'd gone really out of her way to get me this opportunity like it was it it wasn't I don't remember it but it they're my words um yeah, so it's, it was real and very live for you wasn't it yeah in the moment so it's not like it does you know I think sometimes you think that that young people aren't quite that attuned but yeah, yeah. we just forget when you get older you just you, you move on and you forget it but well you and also you don't because it's still living yes. with you very strongly isn't it because as you've just rightly said yes and how did you manage that period of time then? What did that period of time teach you apart from actually stuff about talent development and stuff you're using in your work? But looking back, what do you think you learned about yourself through that part of your life? I think I, it, it uh, well, it sent me down the coaching route, if I'm honest. Yeah. It's, it's where I, I thought, you know, playing, uh, playing good hockey isn't for me. Um, clearly I'm just better at helping people and being a coach and it probably spurred me on to do that and when I was um 17 I went on a coaching course and got my coaching qualification which at the time before UKCC um meant you could coach independently and so I went down that route and at sixth form college rather than um sitting in the canteen or sitting in my car I'd go and offer hockey free hockey sessions to local primary schools on behalf of my hockey club and so it just it just sent me off another way I just thought that's that's not for me and so I parked serious hockey good hockey and uh until I was yeah until I was outside of university so it wasn't till I was maybe 23 that I decided like maybe I should try and see how good I could play and focused a bit more on playing as well as coaching but it, it really sent me down formalizing my coaching and my involvement in sport in that direction and thinking this is where I can make a difference. And was making was it the making a difference or was it about righting some of the wrongs or what do you feel was your driver for for going down that coaching route at, at such a young age? 
Uh, I think it's lots of things. So I think it's it's if you listen to particularly um, autistic women speak, a lot of people would talk about finding it easier to have relationships with people who are much older or much younger because you you understand where you are and and having structured relationships um teachers you know teachers or or counselors therapists where where you know your role and the role you play in the setting and you so therefore you know what the social interaction should look like and how they can be you just feel naturally more comfortable so i think there's there's probably a bit of that there's definitely a uh, an ego that says i can change the world and i'm going to write all the wrongs that happened to me and make sure it never happens to anybody ever again like that's that's definitely a voice in my head and can send me off into a bit of a savior complex um at times um and it was also that I was good at it I I found success I liked helping people and I like seeing other people love something I love and passing on your passion and and helping them get better and you feel good that you've helped them and yeah so it's lots of things layered together I suppose can you recount for, for me and for those that are listening in any real positive stories where all of that's come together and you can demonstrate or share you know how do you know you've had success and people really got a lot from you and your experience? It's tough. How long's a piece of string? Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I'm probably more moved by the little things. Yeah. So, um, and not so long ago, example, we're doing some filming for GB Hockey and we'd start coaching this group of like little kids. Um, and in the session, one of the girls came up. She must have been like six, five. She said, Lucy, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. She said, I love hockey. I was like, yeah, I love hockey too. And it's like, oh, yes, I love hockey. You love hockey. This is amazing. Like, yeah. those are big wins for me. And then um, another example that springs to mind is when I was doing some coaching for South Berkshire. And the, as a club, they didn't have enough boys to run um, an under 16 boys team so we ended up bringing in the under 16 some of the under 16 girls and like the first session it was so awkward because these are teenage boys and teenage girls they all stood there not speaking and but seeing them after a few weeks and lots of player-led stuff and then they played this game and were playing a much better team and I've never seen a squad so tight so together helping each other out everybody's they just played amazing and they weren't the best players on the pitch and the goalkeeper who you know he had had his own challenges throughout the season with his confidence and things like that just played out of his skin and and yeah I, you can't attribute any of it really to you as a coach but you can have a, a bit of a glow that you've set up an environment that that's happened like you, you have to be careful that you don't give yourself too much of a pat on the back because yeah everything works sort of um but yeah. If, if, if I was to say, please do give yourself a pat on the back. And then, and what I mean by that is what is Lucy the coach and, and who is Lucy the coach that creates that environment? You know, what, what do you bring in your coaching and your development of people that really creates that? Um, it's a hard question to answer. I don't really know. You'd have to ask people I work with. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I like to think that I come from a place um where people are resourceful yeah. rather than deficient, yeah. you know, like, like the answer's in them and they're going to fix, figure it out. And you might need to give them some nudges or support, but actually yeah. I think because of um, my experiences, yeah. like 
I'm very aware of the the pressure that you might feel inside yourself if you're trying to do something new and and how much that it plays a part in in the way that you are and if you want people to interact you have to set the scene right and yes. power dynamic I'm very curious about the interaction of people and behavior and I sort of bring all of that wow. that curiosity and and believe but coming from a place where you believe that people are resourceful rather than deficient so it's not about fixing them and telling them stuff it's about helping them to grow and you know Sarah Kelleher would use the word flourish you know like it's it's if you start in a if you're starting in a different place if you believe it's it's within them to fix it um you take a slightly different the, approach don't you or you, you come from a different part of you or bring a different part yeah. of you yeah and, and that does take work and it's definitely been an evolution for me particularly around expectations outside and I still you know you still find it very hard to take that stance and that philosophy when uh when you're being observed because people expect a more didactic coach participant relationship perhaps or mm. and then you internalize that and you start to second <laughs> guess yourself and yeah and how do you play with that expectation because again you know not just in the sport world where the world out there feels like we're under a great deal of scrutiny aren't we and how do you hold on to what you believe is right when when you're under scrutiny you know and I'm wondering how how did you manage that tension I don't know if I've navigated it well enough yet um to offer any advice I try and ruminate less I used to ruminate a lot more and I used to second guess myself a lot more and through um yeah significant period of therapy finding finding out that you need to care less about what other people think and you can only do so much and you 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 can't you are flawed just like everybody else and that's what makes you brilliant and um so it's it's more it's more work in yourself to manage your perceptions of the expectations as it is to manage the expectations like that's very tangible you can you can set out your style. You can talk to people about how you coach. You can take on feedback. You can do all those tangible things, but the real um, work is in your own mind because it's when you're in the car or when you're in the moment and you think, should I step in? Should I say something? Have I said enough? Um, do I move it on? Am I giving enough? You know, this it's it's more managing your inner mind than it is anybody else. Um, I feel like I'm asking some really sort of deep and at times quite difficult questions to answer but I'm just curious again do you recall any really uh, pivotal moments or experiences where you that working on yourself has really come to the fore and you, you've gained some huge insights into you at all um I think it's ongoing it's like right. you know um I'm going to use a geology metaphor and it's or a geography metaphor, it's probably going to be incorrect. So apologies if uh, <laughs> I get this wrong. But you know, that difference between earthquakes and um, the fact that tectonic plates are moving all the time. Like I'm more in that space, I think. They're, like that, there have been moments in my my professional, personal coaching, playing sport life that yeah. you know would be little mini earthquakes and would set you off yeah. on the path of. of self-reflection but I don't I would find it very hard to say oh yeah that thing happened and then it gave me this fabulous insight yeah Um, yeah and what's helped you work to a place of this is a continual journey 
you know, because again, I'm, you know, we, we both work in the world of people development and supporting individuals and people listening into will really be working through how do I continue on that learning journey? And I'm just wondering what, what it was that helped you recognize that this is a continual journey rather than a series of just big events. Um, I think as much as anything, it's, it's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't take anything else, any of the skill, any other element of your life and think you did it once and you were done. Like right. it's that starting to put it more into the context of, yeah, other than learning and growing and knowing yourself, but putting it more in the context of anything else that you would do. Like you wouldn't expect to go and sit down at the piano and be able to play it. And equally you wouldn't expect to sit there once and that was enough lessons. You wouldn't like, uh, I think, um, there is a bit of a change in the way that people talk about coaching and coaching coaches and um, more human, more developmental, more akin to like a participant. You know, uh, it, uh, there's more than one way to participate in sport and physical activity. And only one of those is getting sweaty doing the thing. Like you, you're participating, you're an active person in that environment. We're learning together. You know, as a coach, you only ever have one you have one part of the puzzle so you might have knowledge on some things but yeah. you, you don't have knowledge on the nature of the other person or their yeah. experience or what happened in that moment to them like you, you only have half a story so you have to stay curious and um yeah I, I, it, it's just following different things and then yeah I love learning so that helps I think yeah, um, yeah. And if I, if I flip it a little bit, because you've really given a, a fantastic insight into how you've kind of navigated and learned and, and developed, could you give an example or a story behind something that, in your life that you found really, really difficult and that you were in quite a dark, difficult place and that you've actually managed to come through and out the other side? Because again, you know, many of us are always struggling through the highs and lows and the peaks and troughs and hearing stories about how people might navigate might give an insight into tips or ideas that they might use yeah I think kind of hard to give advice there's been a couple yeah. but um there was one well there's a period of my life where um I probably threw myself into work because I if you're in a job that you love you throw yourself into it right and and there's also a a feeling within coaching that you strike while the iron's hot so while you're stocks high you go and you do more work so I was just kind of going around collecting work more and more and more and more and more and you get to like this insurmountable <laughs> of work yeah you're completely full and and yeah that there's there's only so much you can do and it feels very hard to extract yourself from those situations those relationships because you feel like then you're needed and you're um you're yeah it couldn't possibly happen without you it is definitely an ego thing as much as it is a helping yeah. selfless thing and and I think co as coaches we feel that a lot and actually the realization was for me is that I had to step away from some things um because of things going on in my personal life where uh relationships were just going down the toilet and um so I had to give up some work and I was overwhelmed and it wasn't healthy and then I noticed that nothing really changed so they didn't, the world didn't end and they didn't <laughs> fall over and people still had a good time. And it, it gives you a bit of a sense check of like, oh, um, that's fine. And so trying to be a bit more disciplined, again, I can't, it's hard to give a concrete answer because it's it's only going through that realisation and actually stepping back and, and also being more clear with um, 
with others and with myself to give myself permission to take breaks. So, yeah. And I think you give me an insight there into the kind of what, what were the what were the principles or what were the attributes or, or mottos or sayings or something that actually is a catalyst to help you either say no or pull back or, you know, what is it that kind of makes people take that action? Because it is really difficult, isn't it, when you're in a in a position of feeling that you need to be going one direction, you might need to change and go a different way. You know, so I'm, yeah. I'm curious about what it what it was that was the catalyst for the change. And I think you've given a slight insight. Is there anything else to add to that? Um, without the cheesy, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first thing. Yeah. It, like you just realize the quality of your work's going down and that yeah. and actually you can be choosy. And just because, just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you like it. And just because somebody else wants you to do something doesn't mean you should. And just because you say no to somebody and they get upset doesn't make it a bad decision. Like, and once you've got those kind of things in your head, it you you just have to keep reassuring yourself that that's all right. Yeah, and you clearly you've managed to get them in your head more. Do I dare say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, more. Yeah. Yeah, not fully there, but I guess that's the that's the learning and the work in progress, isn't it? That's why we're not all kind of perfect. What whatever that is. Yeah, and I will always be, um, I will always be an empath. I'll always be pulled people. Somebody say to me, can you really come and help me? It's going to push all of the buttons at the same time, especially if it's somebody that I like or I know or it's something that I've got a skill set for. Those situations, it's it's very hard to say no, even if you're completely at capacity. And uh, worse still, if it's enjoyable. If you love it, then you go, yeah, I'll do some more. And and. In the coaching world and the people help a world, people develop a world, you know, I guess that's a, a kind of a common thread for many people, you know, they want to help, you know, and I think that's a good attribute. But I guess that as you're painting for me here, the, the, the shadow side of that is that we could overdo it, couldn't we? Or and, and I'm wondering if people do push on you on that sort of message, are you able to say no? Do you have a mechanism or a, a mantra which really helps you? sort of stay grounded with it or do you do you give in my strategies depend on what the thing is um yeah i'm trying to be much more disciplined um in what i take on and why i take it on um you know do i really want to do this or am i just doing it because i want to be wanted or because they want me you know like is it in me is this my choice or is that their choice and trying to figure out what that is and, and and just being really clear on protecting time yeah. to to make time for being at home or having nothing on and and not feeling bad about that um it it helps that I have other priorities in my life now that I would want to do I think yeah. it depends you know depending on your home life situation and whether you want to be at home or you want to be at work you know I I'm in a different place now which makes it easier because I have have other things I'd rather be doing yeah. Yeah. so it's, that makes it easier I know I can't um, yeah and so you really paint an interesting picture here in terms of a couple of kind of gatekeepers, nearly in terms of what what's going on in your wider world is a is a reference point or a or a filter to go through. But also I hear one or two really key key questions about is this is this for my benefit and my on my agenda and my direction or is it for somebody else's? And and just asking those questions seems to be kind of a healthy filter to put things through yeah. before you make choices. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes hard to tell the difference. Moving us forward then, Lucy, I'm just thinking here, you know, there's a real 
people develop a helper in you. And, you know, I'm, I was really conscious really right at the beginning when you mentioned that, you know, I think it was your mother. Is your mother a teacher? She is, yes. Yeah. You know, so there's a helper in in her or in the environment. And, you know, we're, we're in helping businesses. Yeah. And moving th forward to the job that you do now as a, you know, I know you, you've been doing sort of coach development. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the, the role that you play now and what the focus is of your current work? Yeah, so my, um, my full-time gig is uh, Head of Professional Workforce at Sport England. And that is definitely more strategic. It's more okay. partnerships. It's more influencing the way that other organisations think about, talk about people, trying to influence how money is directed um, within the sports system, the investments that Sport England would make, and trying to bring a bit more of a people lens onto to those systems and processes um theoretically my role would encompass anybody that gets paid in sport and physical activity which is somewhere near 670,000 uh people employed plus the self-employed workshop workforce so it's vast and so therefore my role really is is to try and nudge and shape and guide um the systemic changes and investments levers where we can um as a as opposed to more like one-to-one -one people coach development um yeah in a nutshell wow big job then it's a bit it is a big job but um I, again i don't there's not there's not a shortage of people who who want to take a different approach to mm. to coaches and people in the system it's just about bringing them together and and uh influencing the change and supporting and almost getting out of the way so that good people can do their thing it's it's not about doing other people's jobs for them it's about helping them to to do their job i'm, I'm really um curious though in terms of the, the early part of your story was very much around you know being kind of hands-on and at the coalface working with athletes or coaches yeah. and now you've moved into a role which is far more strategic and maybe a a little bit further removed from that yeah how's that for you how do you manage that kind of tension or or, or do you not need to I suppose I I never um, I I flip so yeah that's my full-time job but I'm also a student um studying for a PhD and doing sports sociology stuff and I also do some coaching and try and stay in touch with with what it's like actually being a, a talent development coach and um I like to be incognito joining sports clubs or going to the gym or whatever. So I, I try and take that sort of slightly outside view, but it's, um, it's interesting being in a policy role, yeah. um, having come from working as a school sports coordinator, you know, as a football development person, moving through into working as a coach developer and a tutor and, um, having had that underpinning and now to be at a policy stage where you're you're learning from all these different organizations some of them are sports some of them are exercise and fitness and um just the vastness of what we call the sector so it it gives me i think a good perspective of like the reality the lived realities of different la layers of um sport why is that important though because I, I think people don't really necessarily as straying into my phd territory i don't think um we we collectively um appreciate the impact that 
um, individual policymakers' decisions have on um, the wider world and the way in which uh, organisations and people can do their jobs, whatever they might be. You know, small changes at, at certain levels have these big ripple effects. Mm. And I, I think it would be very difficult to work in a policy role if you haven't had experience of, of doing the thing that you're doing, you know, or, or at least yeah. being able to connect with people who've had those experiences really, really well. So I don't think I'm an expert in everything. Yeah. Um, but that generalist understanding and being able to make connections with people who are doing it right now, because my knowledge is obviously going to be historical knowledge, not yeah. current, because I'm not doing it now. But knowing who to reach out to, knowing what to ask. Um, yeah, it's, just, it, it's a different way of designing policy, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Would you give any, uh, any uh, you mentioned earlier on that you're not very good at giving tips and guidance and advice, um, but you know, your role is in workforce development and helping people navigate a journey through sport, you know, hence the, the reason why we're having this conversation. And, you know, for somebody coming into uh, the early part of their, their journey through sport, would you give any tips or advice or from your experience, you know, what, what might you share with them to say, this is how you might navigate through sporting landscape i suppose the first thing is when anybody tells you your cv they miss out all the stuff they did for free they miss out all the hours they spent standing in the rain <laughs> they they miss out all of the jobs that they applied for and never even got a sniff like so so when somebody talks you through how they did their cv it looks very systematic and, and linear so my my advice to anybody coming in would be to think about how do you get those experiences and opportunities you you are going to have to do stuff um in a voluntary capacity or you're going to have to go and be brave and ask somebody for some some help or for an opportunity you know you do sort of have to put yourself out put yourself out there a bit um equally in saying that, you know, that's a privilege. That's a privilege to be able to do that, to be able to work for free. I speak as a middle-class white person who, who was well supported by my parents to go to university and um, that allowed me to give my time for free. So there's also bits we need to think about as a system to, to make it easy for people to navigate and understand. But um, for those individuals who are working in it, like keep working hard, but don't just work hard to get the qualifications. Think about the lateral experience and, and opportunities you can you can do. So even if you do need to get a part-time job rather than go and do some sports volunteering, can you get something which is in customer service or can you get you know something which is lateral um, but fits with where you want to go? If you want to be a coach or instructor, dealing with members of the public, that's going to help you. If you want to be in more policy or management, there's going to be opportunities to do um, part-time things like day trenches. So just try and think a bit laterally about where am I going and what might help, but yeah. Oh, great advice. If I, if I turn the table then back to yourself, what, what would you say was some of those lateral experiences or um, you know, experiences that you had in between roles or jobs that really made a difference to you and added value to your CV as it were? Yeah, so uh, I suppose as soon as I could get a job, I worked at a play scheme. We did play schemes, things like that. That yeah. helped me. That was yeah. um, that was great. Um, and I also, for a time, worked in a leisure centre on reception. Again, that helped. Yeah. That was good. But yeah. I also worked in a hotel, yeah. um, doing bar and reception and waiting. So that all very normal. But it all sort of builds to to who you are. Principally, my 
um, my relevant experience came from a lot of volunteering and coaching and, and going and delivering sessions in schools on behalf of my club and sitting on the club committee and um, getting involved being a race marshal for, for a local race. So it's almost like these bits and pieces that you pick up um, to add to your CV and, yeah. and that, that make the difference. Um, this might sound like a silly question, you know, and I think I have a view, but I'd be interested in your view is, you know, why, why does um, working in a hotel reception, uh, how might that help you get a job working in sport? What's the relevance there? Well, there's lots of interface with people, I'd say, first off, lots of interface with people, um, lots of working with different people from all over the world who also work in the hotel. Okay. That, yeah. that, that was really valuable, using operating systems. Um, Dealing with angry people, that's a right. good skill to have when you yeah. work, particularly if you want to go into sports development, you're going to have to encounter some some volunteers that have been shortchanged somewhere. Um, being able to manage that conflict and, and resolve it. And um, yeah. yeah, so lots of different strings to your bow that you get. Um, yeah. Brilliant. And, and, you know, you really cement in my mind the importance of those people skills again you know it's something that's coming through quite strongly for me in a lot of the podcasts that I've had is that uh, relationships are quite key in this world you know and how people interact with one another has been quite a, a solid and important attribute to have and grow and develop um so so thank you for sharing that you know it's really it's really great and I think it gives some of the listeners hopefully some ideas and tips as to the journey that they could take and actually it doesn't actually matter when you do it I think it, throughout your career just practicing these skills whether they're in the actual environment or not can still add to to what you do um so listen i just want to ask you one or two more sort of broad questions and you know in terms of the, the challenges in the role that you've got going forward in the sporting landscape what, what what do you see as uh um some of the big challenges given what's going on in the world but actually how do we evolve the, the sporting system if that's a term that's used quite a lot so um the first thing is people right. you know the whole thing you know you said relationships are important no relationships is the whole thing the, ho the okay. whole thing is people and relationships right like so policy is meaningless until somebody reads it it's a bit of paper like the participants experience on the ground is directly impacted by the way of a, the receptionist is nice or not so we can write whatever we want we can spend money on whatever we want but Ultimately, that person's experience of sport and physical activity is dependent on whether the receptionist is grumpy because he or she hasn't had their lunch. Like that's the level that we're so. And I think we don't give ourselves enough time or space to think like that. This is a huge web of human beings. A lot of the sports sector is very, very old, and some of it's deliberately been designed to exclude people. And so when we're thinking about things like diversity and inclusion, positive people, positive experience, um, including disabled people in sport and physical activity, uh, tackling health conditions, you know, it comes with that. The sport that we see on the TV is very sporty sport. It's probably not what most of us are doing. We layer that in with um, fears and anxieties about going out and getting active or, or going back to the gym, if that's what you do on the back of, of COVID and, tackling inactivity things like that like it's just it's hugely complex and I think in our desire to simplify we we rub out and erase the humans and actually I think that they're the secret key that changes the whole thing yeah. that you start if you started there 
your participation things would follow your experiences would follow but you but unless they come into clear view unless we start to see them um we'll miss the trick again again big big maybe possibly quite hard question to answer but what might be a really good next step given we, we are where we are what do you feel might be a good next step to take us more so towards that place i think it's talking it's talking about it and it's thinking about who who's in your network who can you influence who can you talk to about this how can we be more uh, accepting of the fact that that human error is a big factor in what we do and people are human and it's these kind of conversations you know i have been fangirling calf uh calf bishop who's was the the tweet you shared earlier so they're her words not mine um but uh those kind of conversations thinking about how do we define success and uh what does it mean and starting to unpick it because ultimately although it has evolved over many years and nobody planned the sport and physical activity system in this way it is the construction of humans like yeah. There might be a long time ago and it's like mushroomed and got way out of hand since then. But at some stage, somebody codified sports, you know, somebody advocated for physical training. It might have been a very, very long time ago, but it did come from people. So therefore, the solution has to be people. Right. So start small, start with what you can change in your domain. I, I believe we've, we can all influence in our own little garden. So just do what you do and then maybe try and persuade somebody nearby to do a bit over there. And then, you know, we'll get like this pyramid scheme where everybody's tidying up their little bit. And then eventually the whole thing will, will move. I, um, that saying, I don't uh, diminish the, the power and the opportunity that like national funding agencies have and in, in leveraging their, their support and the way that they work with, with funded partner organizations. Like that is, that is a big lever that we could, we could do more with, I think. As you're talking, I'm thinking this is just fantastic what you're, what you're advocating. But, but it also lends myself back to um, one of your statements right at the beginning about wanting to change the world, you know, and there's a real big, yeah. a big, a big sense in you. So it's nearly coming full circle. And, uh, you know, as we've gone through, I can see why you're doing the job you do, you know, and the, the experiences that you've had in um, both good and not so good, how they've really given you the passion and, and the foresight and the energy for the, for the work that you're doing. D does that make sense? And do you make that connection? Yes, I do every day. And I have to check myself that I'm not getting into God complex space where I'm like, I'm just yeah. going to change it. And I know what I'm doing because I don't know. These are my opinions and I speak on behalf of me and I will do my job on behalf of me. And maybe that's useful. Maybe it's not. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's a pitfall. You have to, that's why you have to bring other people with you. And that's why you have to be open to, to listening to other people and, and have a broader diversity of, voices and thoughts and even if they disagree with you like be able to have a conversation about it and doesn't mean that either one of you has to convince the other party it's we are it's all of our thing it's not nobody owns this thing it's all of us so yeah and, and you mentioned there I know you'll take this in the way it's meant but you also said that you know we need to listen to other people but um we also need to advocate our views, don't we? And, you know, share our views. And I know that's something that you, you're you getting louder in sharing your view of the world, which I really applaud. So good luck with that and continue on it because, you know, it takes us all, as you say, it's all of our views. So it's important that everybody shares, not just listens, but listens and shares. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And the, the way that, you know, the way that I speak is influenced directly by the way that you listen and the way that you listen is influenced by the way that I speak. Like we can't separate ourselves yeah 
from this relationship, the context, the conversation, like, and, and finding my voice and having an opinion has been hard won. Uh, I found it very difficult to speak with more honesty. I think perhaps have been conditioned out of me. Sometimes autistic people are told they're too direct, so then I go too quiet. Right. And so finding that happy medium where you're not um, upsetting people by being aggressive, yeah. but equally you're not squishing down what you know and what you think yeah. too much is hard. Well, Lucy, from, from my experience of what you've shared today, um, the balance seems to be really good at the moment. So, you know, and, 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 and I really love the idea of how you're using the work you've done around the, the autism that you've got and how you're using that in a really constructive, positive way, because I think it, it can be used in a very constructive, positive way. So uh, you know, thank you for sharing that and being so open and, and keep up the work on that. Um, I want to just drop back into another one of your kind of strong attributes, which is about helping people. So I just want to ask you a few sort of short, sharp questions, again, to offer the listeners a few gems so you can continue to help them a little bit further, if that makes sense. You know, you've obviously come on a great journey through so many different environments and experiences through sport. In terms of, again, offering a little bit of advice or guidance, what kind of books or references would you sort of share with others that maybe have inspired or helped you on your journey that our listeners might be able to pick up on? Uh, well, the newest one is The Long Win by Kath Bishop that I've been stalking around the internet. So that's uh, newest on the hit list. I um, I really liked Quiet by Susan Kane. That's worth looking at. She's got a YouTube video as well, which is all about the power of introverts. Um, and, and that's something quite close to my heart that it's not always about extroverted um, ways of being. So that's a good one. And the, the other one is When by Daniel Pink, which I think is probably pretty pretty well known in sports coaching land at the moment. But um, they would be some ones off the top of my head. Yeah, great. Uh, and, I, and I love the one about introverts because I think that really just gives us another uh, perspective, doesn't it, in terms of, you know, um, common stereotype is that introvert people are shy and reserved and don't share anything. But I think there's a huge amount of power within introversion and, and actually a lot of considered stuff, which, you know, I think you're testament to. So thank you for, for pointing us in that direction. Um, a question I ask again, in terms of, you know, we work in a sporting, uh, physical active environment, um, but I, I also give a sense, you know, you, you help others prepare themselves to be the best versions of themselves and enjoy what they do. How do you do that, both physically and mentally prepare yourself? Good question. So I, I like to try and keep active as much as I can. Um, that is a, a very big important part of my life whether it's just walking the dog um, I've got back into listening to podcasts um, a bit more when I'm when I'm walking the dog which is quite nice um, that helps me enormously and the big thing and there's another book oh, I think it's called Why We Sleep I can't remember who it's by yeah. when you read that you will never skip scrimp on sleep ever again sleep is the key <laughs> if you want to be if you want to be in any way at your best you need to sleep um a good amount and consistently um not with lots of wine beforehand that, that like big lesson that helps me be at my best um and i think as well being for me it's it's being well prepared so if i know how i'm going to go into a conversation or a presentation or and i know how i'm going to get out at the other end how am i going to start and how i'm going to close and the middle bit sort of sorts itself out but but really being sure in the first 30 seconds of what I'm going to say and probably the close of what I'm going to say and then 
then the middle bit you obviously need to be prepared but you can go with it a bit more organically and I, I would take that whether it was a a coaching session or a coach developer session or a presentation at work or whatever there's I don't know where I got it from so it's definitely not my idea I've got it from somewhere oh I, and, and I'm just sat here thinking there you are giving some really great tips and advice you see and I, I think it's brilliant that because I think they're lovely principles which people can use to their own benefit can't they but it's I've got the picture of like two kind of bookends, you know, to whatever yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Know how you're getting in, know how you're getting out. Yeah. And then the middle bit sort of sorts itself out. Yeah, brilliant. And, and I'm also relating back to a previous uh, podcast, actually, with uh, one of my guests, Rachel McKenzie, um, who was a, a champion um, Thai boxing European champion. She talks so much about the importance of sleep as well. So I'm just really resonating that it's becoming a little bit of a thread about something which we often take for granted. But yeah, I think it's so vitally important. So I would really steer people towards the book there as well. So good advice. Thank you. In terms of advice, what advice might you give to your teenage version of yourself, given given where you're at now? Very difficult. Um, uh, I think I would I would probably advise her to just yeah go with your gut you know you know the opportunities that you're going to take you're going to see the opportunities you need to go for them but equally listen to your gut a bit more so that sometimes I think as a younger person I was guilty of suppressing what I thought the right thing was to do and actually going with the flow or going with the crowd or going with a more dominant personality and actually being a bit bolder to trust that gut instinct and be yourself would be my advice I yeah, it's still advice I'd give myself now because I'm still rubbish at it. Well, <laughs> we can take some of that medicine, can't we still? Be bold and listen to your gut. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was listening to a, um, a presentation just the other day about being courageous, actually, and how important that is in this day and age, you know, if we're trying to really keep moving things on and being innovative and creative. So um, really, really good, good advice there. Uh, just two more questions then. And this one, I, 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 I'm going to ask it. I appreciate it's really difficult, but I, I wondered if there are um, you could articulate or share who's been really pivotal and influential on in your life. And are there two or three people that you would say, God, they've they've really made a difference to me along my journey. Appreciating that there's probably many, but are there any standout people that you would refer back to? It's really hard. Um, so I, my. PE teacher as a first instance, yeah. um, Mrs. Green, she was very impactful in my life in terms of seeing the potential in me, probably as a coach or as a PE teacher or something, you know, she saw potential in me um, where other studies at school would have been difficult. So she was fundamental and also signposted me towards hockey yeah. because there wasn't such a thing as girls football. So like as a, as a foundational person, she was, she was incredible. I, in my professional life, I've been fortunate, you know, I think there are a lot of good people at, at hockey and I've been fortunate enough to be able to watch and interact with some fabulous coaches, you know, whether it's Danny Kerry or Bobby Crutchley or yeah. Jason Lee or Karen Brown. Like I have had an incredible bunch of, of elite coaches to surround myself with and listen and they're from all very different in their styles and way and they've been amazing. But I think probably the people who impact you the most are the ones who aren't famous celebs yeah. so you know like Demi Dowley at hockey as a coach developer would be massive in my yeah. my world but equally a couple of colleagues who've since passed away yeah. um Carol who used to work at Sport England and and Calf Sweet who used to work at UK Sport and just 
they they imprint on you and they yeah. and they you take their way of being with you and you think yeah that made a wow. difference and I, and I love that bit, the, the imprint on you, you know, because I think that's that's kind of the question and, it, and they don't need to be the, the, the high profile people, you know, and, I, yeah. and what's coming through really strongly for me in, in all of these conversations is the importance of often PE teachers in people's sports journeys, you know, how they can actually really influence both positively and negatively and give that, you know, foundational kind of experience and exposure to, to this world and the possibilities within it. So, you know, thanks for sharing that and, and my, my very last question would be you know you've been as um as open and honest and really sort of shared some of your inner sort of experiences and thoughts on your journey whose sports story might you be interested in hearing more about and why mm. um, i would be really interested to hear more about kaz walton who's para athlete and she's at the bpa and she's just yeah she would be an incredible person for you to interview about her perspective on the sports system working in sport being an athlete being you know early in the proper i don't know formalization of the, the paralympics and things like that like i yeah she would be an amazing person to have on if you could get her well brilliant no and I, I think again you just by sharing why she would be so important it resonates for me again is to you know everyone's got a different story to tell and but actually we might just be able to tell little gems or snippets out of everybody's story because um you know it's not about saying this is the way to do it it's this is the way that I've done it and actually there might be something in it for you to take from yeah. it so um no, brilliant. It's a little challenge there for me, so thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're gonna get her. I don't know, get her. She must have an agent or find her on social media. Well, who knows? Who knows? Um, Lucy, thanks so much for sharing your your journey. You know, I, I'm I'm blown away. I, I do know you, um, but it, there's huge amounts of elements in there which I, I didn't know, and have actually really made me think. And I, I do hope you know the listeners in have just taken one or two parts to really help them or guide them along their journey, but also, you know, be quite inspired by how you've really dealt with some of your hardships in terms of, you know, the autism and dyslexia and stuff and seeing that as not necessarily a barrier, but actually as a, something to work with and go through and actually help you in the journey that you've taken. So thanks ever so much for sort of being so open and honest about that. Um, my, my last sort of offer to you would be, you know, should people wish to find out a little bit more about the work you're doing currently, either at Sport England or within your your sort of more recreational areas or in hockey um how might they be able to find out more or be in contact with you uh so the best way is probably on uh twitter or linkedin um so you just look for me on on linkedin do a search but on on twitter i'm lucky more 15 and you will find me um it's largely pictures of sporty things or my dog yeah. um <laughs> or podcast recommendations yeah. Or, or you've been a super fan of so many things in sport, as I, as I noticed as well. So, Yeah, lots of shameless plugs for Sport England Activity Alliance and anybody else that I have an affiliation with. Yeah. Um, well, Lucy, keep up the good work. Uh, I'll definitely be sort of keeping in touch and, and following the journey you're doing because I know your, your, your passion is there to try and change the world. So, you know, if, if between us we can change or make a, even a small difference to the world through the vehicle of sport, well, all will be good there. So uh, once again, thanks ever so much for joining me. Uh, take care and good luck. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So there we have great insight into the sports story of current head of professional workforce at Sport England. Lucy plays a pivotal role and hugely impacts on the future sporting landscape. 
and I love her passion for what she does. Well, for me, Lucy was just as I thought she would be. Honest, insightful, humble, thought through, and a challenge. The challenge was in terms of allowing her to feel comfortable giving advice and guidance. She is a person who has really done a load of work and understanding of who she is, what she stands for, and what matters to her. This came through for me not just in what she said, but also in how she said it. There were many comments and learning nuggets she shared which resonated with me. I have captured this in the show notes, but a couple that I really liked are as follows. She said, Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you like it, and just because somebody else wants you to do something doesn't mean you should. Just because you say no to somebody and they don't like it doesn't mean it's a bad decision. For me, this really links to the choices and decisions we take and how we see the impact and implications of these. Have a think what this might mean for you. Another nugget I really liked is when she said, and it may appear very simple, but it go with it. As a coach or leader or helper, you only have part of the story. You have to therefore stay curious. This is a constant reminder to ask questions, look out for the assumptions we make and have a desire to want to find out the parts of the story we do not know. As you can tell, the conversation has really given me and hopefully you many things to think about. In addition to the above, the questions I would like to pose to you as a parent, a teacher, a coach or a leader are as follows. What do you need to do to quieten your busy mind to get a really relaxed focus? Hockey did this for Lucy. And secondly, what in your life has proved to be a real challenge and how could you view this and use it to really help you? Now I'm conscious that I'm raising many big questions, but it's hard not to take the inspiration and energy from the guests and their stories. Over the past month or so, we have had some terrific stories and I have also read a great deal about how and why individuals don't achieve their goals and aspirations. Well, I would like to encourage you to set small, realistic goals that are a stretch yet achievable. If you take just one or two nuggets of learning from the stories and put this into action for you and in turn achieve your goals, your confidence and motivation is likely to therefore increase. Lucy mentioned that small changes can and do have a big ripple effect. So make the small changes and enjoy the rewards, whether at start, middle or end of your career, or if you're looking to make changes in your personal life. Right, just before we sign off, and as I always do, I'd like to share my thanks and appreciation. Thank you for being part of the Sports Stories journey and for listening in and engaging with the content. And to Lucy, thanks for being such a willing, insightful and just an all-round brilliant guest. I know for sure you will have provided value to the listeners and in turn provided an impact on the professional workforce within sport. And lastly, back to you, the listener. Please have a look at the Sports Stories website. Perhaps go back and listen again to earlier episodes. And most importantly, take the time to invest in yourself and be curious as to who you are, what you stand for, and what you hope to achieve, either in sport, out of sport, or through sport. And with this in mind, consider how coaching and mentoring may help you. So from me, Dave Levine, take care, stay safe, have a great week, and I look forward to having you with me next week.